0: During the last year and a half, our world has been turned upside down because of the COVID. We all are aware of that. It's interrupted the way we do church. And this concerns me in some way. I pray that this pandemic has improved your relationship with God and not separated you from him. I know a lot of people are beginning to evaluate their lives. They do not want to work for the same employer Uh, they're not sure what they want to do with their life, but they know that they need to make changes. So I pray that as we try to seek what is really important in our lives, that we include God. God created the heavens and the earth, and everything in it by the word of his mouth. He also created man in his image by forming us with his hands. We find this in Genesis 1 and 2. Our God has awesome creative abilities. His love for mankind is like none other. God recreated himself into a human being. And he gave his son that we might live. We find that in John 3.16. He demonstrates, oh, excuse me. He is a hands-on creator and he formed us in his image. He wants wants us to have a clean heart as King David did. And what he prayed for. He restores our soul. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He even knows the number of hairs on our head. For me, that may not be too difficult. Matthew 10.30 He demonstrates that he knows our name before we are born. Look at Cyrus, king of Persia, found in Daniel 10. He lived during Daniel's time, but we find in the scriptures that Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 45.1, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. It goes on to talk about Cyrus. This prophecy was mentioned 150 years before his existence. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. This is found in Psalms 139, 1 through 4, if you wish to turn there. You understand my thought afar of off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows our needs before we even ask for them, He knows you and me intimately. He still wants to hear from us, though. He still wants that personal relationship. In 1976, we had a member of the Woodland 7th Avenue Church in Washington State, not California. The lady's name was Norma. She kept trying to convince us to join the Woodland Church and for me to become a youth leader. We had been church hopping. Have you ever done that? We had four churches in which we hopped around to, and, you know, parents' churches, church in, our, in the city we lived in, and one uh, near, near there. We lived in Vancouver, Washington back then. Well, we told Norma that we would pray about it, whether or not we would join the church. My problem with that whole idea was I didn't want to commute to church. I had already commuted to work and I was tired of commuting, but we placed the house on the market to sell, and we told Norma that we would pray about it, and we told her if the house sells in 90 days, that we would move our membership. Well, nothing happened. Eighty-nine days went by. We hadn't heard a thing. Well on the 89th day we decided that we were going about it all wrong. We asked to transfer our membership on the 89th day because it was the right thing to do. The 90th day we had two families two families that uh, started bidding for our house. They were trying to outbid each other. The house sold on the 90th day. God had close the door on that chapter of our life, and open a door to Woodland, Washington. My wife quit her job, her government job, and raised our special needs daughter at home, Laura. She hasn't been able to attend church here because she's been in lockdown and uh, is unable to uh, be with people that have not been vaccinated. She is autistic and developmentally challenged. Well... Originally, uh, when Gwen decided to quit her job, uh, I didn't like it. It was against my will, because we we owed more in bills in debt than what we had in income coming in. And I, be- I was a firm believer that I should pay my bills. So we spent time praying about our situation. After we had done that, the next day or two, I went to my supervisor and I asked for a $250 a month raise. Now, that doesn't sound like much in today's wages, but back then, I think I was only making about $600 a month, so $250 a month was a lot. Well, my supervisor came back to me two or three days later, and he said, I have both good news and bad news for you. Which do you want to hear first? I said, so how about the good news? So he said, uh, well, the good news is you, you get to receive $125 now, effective immediately. In fact, it's retroactive. I said, well, what's the bad news? And he said, well, the bad news is you have to wait three months for the other $125. Again, uh, the following year, I asked for another $250, and I received it. You know, we never missed a payment. In fact, we are able to pay bills, as they came due. In fact, some of them, when they came due, we were able to come up with a total amount so we could pay the bill off. God was really good to us. We even received money we weren't expecting. We owned an old Volkswagen Beetle, a 1960 Beetle. It would break down every single time we took it out on the road. We ended up pushing it most of the time. This beetle wasn't just a 1960 beetle. It was a composite of many, many years. So when it would break down and I'd go in looking for a 1960 part, i discovered that I needed a 1972 part. So you actually had to take all the parts in for them to match it because you really didn't know what you had. Well, Gwen and I got down on our knees. And we prayed that the Lord would help us not make a blunder like we had with with the Volkswagen. We needed a car to get Laura back and forth to her uh, speech therapy and physical therapy, which was going to start up in a couple weeks. And we needed a car that would do 25,000 miles a year. Well, we prayed about it. And we asked the Lord to help us not make the blunder. And we were going to trade our VW in and we had a Ram van that was relatively new, and we were going to trade it for two used cars that hopefully would run better than the VW did. I needed a good car to commute, and Gwen needed a good car to commute for Laura. Well, the next morning, I arrived at, at Shaw Surgical in Portland, Oregon, and I received a call from my wife, Gwen. She said, you're not going to believe this. I just got a call from Uncle Stan, and Uncle Stan said, I have a car for you. Now, we did not discuss this with Uncle Stan. The only one that we had discussed this with was the Lord. And we get a call saying that Gwen's uncle had a car for us. He asked if we could afford to fly, and we said that we would sell a VW. We had a buyer, and we received an income tax return. God provided this car for us to transport Laura to her appointments without our asking anyone other than God. Well, we needed to travel to Michigan for it. We needed the car right away, and we boarded a plane a couple days later. Laura was in need of therapy within two weeks, so we had to go to Michigan rather fast. The car was an Oldsmobile Cutlass diesel. We call it the Gutless Cutlass. It had its own problems, but basically it was a very real, reliable car and we had it for 13 years. We only had to pay a dollar for it besides the plane ticket. But the amazing part about this story is that God started working on this six months before we asked. Uncle Stan and Aunt Marilyn talked about it uh, six months before when they had seen our VW on blocks. They visited us during a time when Gwen's father had uh, had had a heart attack and he was recovering from it. You know, God is awesome. He spoke to When's Uncle Stan? During the winter of 1983 and 84, I would jog down our country road. I had uh, a farmer that had 700 head of cattle. And when I jogged down the road, the cattle did too. They'd be running along the fence line, I'd be running. I'd stop, they'd stop. I go to touch them, they'd shy away. I go to run again, they'd take off again. Follow me. Well, during that time of my life, I would, uh, it was a time for meditation. I would spend time with God, and I asked God to do something beyond my imagination. I had worked in Portland, Oregon for Shaw Shaw Surgical and selling medical supplies for 11 years. I dealt with inside sales. I would augment our income by painting houses, commercial buildings, and was given a custodial business from Norma. I was actually getting kind of tired. Well, I was one of three people trying to hold on to the accounts for Shaw Surgical in Portland. The company had been sold to a real estate company because Mr. Shaw had passed away, and his wife, who was 88 years old, was ill, and she could not run the company, so she sold controlling interest to a real estate company. So the real estate company bought Shaw Surgical so that they could dismantle it and sell the parts greater than the whole. They dismantled the company very rapidly. Everyone that, uh, at work that was tired of seeing what was going on decided they would apply for a job with a competition. They'd get a job, but as soon as they gave their two-week notice, they were fired on the spot. The company was worth about 60% in a year or so. They even fired the seasoned salesman and hired people that didn't know a thing about the medical field. Big mistake. They would pick. The three of us that were left that knew anything about the business, they would pick our brains every day. (laughs) They wanted to know what the different products were. Well, I was yearning for something different. Our needs had changed. Gwen's Uncle George came to visit during my father-in-law's recovery from a second heart attack and bypass surgery. Gwen and I didn't really know him. I'd only seen him for about five minutes in Michigan. When we, uh, just as we were getting ready to leave. Well, he and I went for a walk. And I told him that I was looking for change in employment. I didn't realize that my talk with him would be like an interview. Very unusual conversation, so please forgive me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> he asked me if I would work in a condom factory. <laughs> and my mouth kind of dropped open, I said... Well, yes, I didn't tell him that I'd already sold him as medical supplies. He was a medical director for the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. I'd never heard of the national lab. He asked his secretary to send me job openings for the lab and to apply on jobs that I found interesting. So in April of 84, I received a call for an interview for an administrative position for the Health Services Department at the Livermore Lab. I needed to take a few days off for an interview, but my supervisor didn't want me to take the time off because he wanted to go on vacation. He was tired of what was going on with the company and all he could think about at the time was himself. He wanted some time off. So he went down and he told the new administration that I wanted the time off. Well, this didn't go over real well with me. I thought, oh no, they're gonna fire me when I get back. So after my interview was over, and I'd returned back to work, I was called into the president's office of Shaw Surgical. I definitely feared that I was gonna be fired. I hadn't been given a job as of yet at the Livermore Lab, I was told that the vice-president of the company had previously worked the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. He knew all about the Livermore Lab. I was not applying for a job with the competition. The two of them told me that I was welcome to stay working with them as long as I wanted. I told them I wasn't sure if I'd done well in the interview. And they told me not to sell myself short. I had been treated differently than everyone else. During the interview at Livermore, I was told that Uncle George would not interview me. He was worried about nepotism. He wanted to let his staff do that. After the interview, I, and I had gone back home, I got a call from them asking me to write them a paper. Well, I didn't do very well in sentence structure in school. It's the only thing, that handwriting, that I didn't do well in. So I took a crash course from Gwen's brother. And then I proceeded to write a paper, and I submitted it. Well, on May 14, 1984, the day of my birthday, I received a call at work saying that I had the job there, and you could hear me yell out, yahoo! And, and everyone in the place knew that I had gotten the job. They asked me if I'd gotten the job. I told them yes, but I don't know what date I am going to be leaving here. Because the Livermore Lab still had to do a security clearance on me. Well, the president of the company called me in to congratulate me and reassure me that I still had a job and that they told me they weren't surprised that I got the job. Well, I was hired and began June 11, 1984. Our house sold, and we received the money the day before we left. God had opened the pathway to Livermore and closed the pathway from Woodland, Washington. The very first day I was to begin work, I had full benefits. I had full medical, dental, and vision coverage. Effective immediately but I wasn't aware of that which was a big mistake on my part because Gwen had broken her ankle. I also had disability insurance with a supplemental disability that I paid extra for. If I worked long enough I'd even have a pension That's something I didn't have with Shaw Surgical. For the first time in 11 years, we had no bills hanging over us. Life was good. Well, we were able to receive the benefits that we needed to thrive. At that time, California was ahead of the other states for social services, and we managed to get plugged into what's known as Valley Mountain Regional Center. They have regional centers here in California, and that was a big help for us with... uh, providing services for Laura. Well, we began attending church at Livermore. All motels and hotels were booked solid. There was three events going on in the area. There was a fair, there's racetracks over by Tracy, and they were having races there, and they also had a rodeo going on, and all the hotels and motels were all booked solid. We had a house that we were going to rent, but it wasn't available to us for a month. We'd gotten called in sooner than expected. So we needed a place to stay. So I went to, we went to the Livermore Church, and we asked the pastor, there was a place that we could pitch our tent, and that we would stay in that for a month. Well, the church members in Livermore thought we were transients, just passing through. They really didn't know what to think about us until they found out I had a job at the the lab and uh, was receiving a stipend, but I didn't have anywhere to spend it. Amazing. Well, we were given permission to stay at the Livermore Elementary School which wasn't very far from the lab at all. I put our tent up. It was very difficult to try to pound stakes into the hard ground there, solid clay and rock. It was like trying to pound it into solid concrete. Well, our tent did not stay up. It blew down several times during the week, so we didn't know what we were going to do. So Gwen decided to ask her grandparents if uh, we could get the use of their travel trailer, and so we, we got the use of it. They were reluctant about it, but we did get the use for three weeks. We stayed in the back of the school. They gave us the keys to the gymnasium so we could make phone calls and keys to the bathroom and some electricity. It was difficult to get clean. We didn't have showers. When I'd have to pour water over me out in an open field. Had corn stalks all around us though. Uh, It was hard to get the ring around my collar gone. Difficult. But you know, we still had a place to live. Even though we had to stay in you know, such primitive beginnings uh, God took great care of us. We had the the rental house finally uh, available for us to move into and we lived in it for about a year in Pleasanton. And then we looked around for housing there and discovered that we couldn't afford houses at all in that area. So we Moved to Modesto, the north end of Modesto. We lived there three years, and then we moved to a, in a house near Ceres. Well, while we were in the house near Ceres, our life seemed to thrive, our lives. Laura had corneal transplants back then in both of her eyes. Her eyes were healing great when all of a sudden, uh, when she was watching the kids play basketball in the street, the the ball bounced off the hoop and hit her in the face. And it caused acute glaucoma. And she lost the vision of her left eye. We... Uh, came into contact with a, um, an organization called a Society for Handicapped Children and Adults, where Laura learned how to snow ski. I figured if Laura could learn how to snow ski, so could I. I had never skied before, but I had had formal ice skating lessons in my younger years. I figured, well, can't be too much different. They're just longer than, uh, than skates. Well, I took a simple ski instructor class and then decided I would help as a volunteer. And I'd be hanging on to the tips of the skis. Uh, they had what is known as a, uh, a ski bra, which is a clamp that goes on the uh, tip of the skis and it causes a person to do an automatic snowplow. We also had outriggers with uh, a toboggan for people that were paraplegic. We also had outriggers for people that were uh, skiing on one leg. We had amputees. In fact, we even had an amputee that got on the chairlift and had her skis attached and everything as we were uh, traveling on that thing. Her leg, her amputee, amputee leg, her prosthetic fell off with a ski on it. And the ski ended up going down the slopes all by itself with a leg attached, which freaked a lot of people out. (laughs) But she thought it was funny because she was able to ski on one leg. They also had a water skiing program. Laura would use a sit ski, and she was quite good. She was like the Rock of Gibraltar, never fell down. I tried it, all I'd do is drink muddy water. Um, I wasn't very good at that, but I could snow ski. And Gwen, she would take care of everybody. She was like the mother of the group. She would help serve lunches and that type of thing. And we did this for a number of years. So we were thankful that we were able to receive benefits like that. We were also involved in what is known as the Joy Sounds Choir. Now, we've had them here in in Parkwood. We've had them give their testimony and sing. It'll bring tears to your eyes. Well, they would travel from church to church, city to city, right around our local area here, and they would give their testimonies of what the Lord has done for them. We were able to be involved with that Very heartwarming. And then we were also able to start a chapter of the Autism Society here in Modesto. We became officers. It's not something I had ever, I never had training for it. I I don't know. I didn't expect to be able to do anything like that with my life. Well, in 1994, I developed neurological problems. They were difficult to diagnose. I went backpacking for my last time. I would backpack a lot. I would get what I call backpacker's fever. If the sun would shine, I was ready to go out backpacking, which created a problem here in California. It seemed like the sun was always shining. So I went backpacking and had to wade across a stream just before we got to our destination. Icy cold water. I'm wading across, and it felt like I was wading through boiling water. It burned my legs and my feet. I could take a can of pop, a cold can of pop, and it would burn my hand. I'd have to throw it. I, I couldn't handle it. And I could dip my hand into tepid water, uh, boiling water, and it felt tepid. It did not feel like it was boiling water. Very dangerous. I could burn myself without feeling it, so I had to spend a lot of time in prayer. I had doctors that didn't know what to look for. They were really confused as to what was going on with me. They sent me to Sacramento for a diagnosis of my problem. Uh, I was thankful the guy there had seen a case like mine before. And he discovered that I had a syrinx in my cervical spine, which is like a little pocket that collected spinal fluid at C2. This caused pain and temperature crossover. I experienced change in temperature as pain. I was then sent to a neurosurgeon at Stanford. He took one look at the MRI, this was in December, And he said that he could operate in January. Well, that didn't make me feel real warm and fuzzy. He said that if I didn't have the operation, there was a 98% chance of me dying or becoming uh, quadriplegic. And the chance of the operation wasn't much greater. If I were to survive the operation, I would need eight months off. From work, and that I would be placed in a halo, in a hard collar. That's if I survived. That's what I looked like back then, 1995. I had to wear that apparatus. It was pretty wicked looking, and it felt even worse than what it looks like. They have pins that screw into your scalp. And I, I was able to uh, talk to another patient with uh, his permission and find out how he did in this apparatus. And so he told me. I was still reluctant. <clears throat> but after I'd been placed in it and got home, I had to do physical therapy. <clears throat> they had taken <clears throat> the, my fibula from my left leg and they'd placed it into my cervical spine. And they rebuilt my cervical spine from C3 through C7 using a fibula-strut fusion. So they V-notched each end of my bone and they placed it in my neck. So I would end up, I was gimping around. I could feel my leg more than I could the pain from my neck. Because my neck was in a halo and didn't move, because it was stable, that didn't hurt real bad. But my leg hurt a lot. And the neighbor kids would come up to me and stare at the pins in my halo. And they'd see something come down. They'd ask me, is that blood coming down? I'd say, no, it's iodine. So They'd follow me around. They were worried about me. In fact, they were brother and sister. And they would come to my house. And they'd ask if they could sing Christmas carols to me by themselves. Nobody around them, no accompaniment. Both of them did this. They even asked me if they could mow my lawn for free and I said no you can mow my lawn but I'll pay you for it. You know it was a miracle that I had disability insurance at that time. I had paid extra for the disability insurance uh, you know for the supplement and I was receiving more money then my take-home pay would would have been if I would continued working. Because I had paid for the supplemental, I didn't have to pay taxes on it. So my take-home was actually more. God had really blessed us. He knew what we needed. You know, I ended up working at the Livermore Lab for 32 years. I was given different job descriptions all along the way. And I had to take hundreds of classes to, to be able to qualify for them. But I remained there for 32 years. God is good. He's more than good. He knew what we needed and provided it. Now to back up just a bit, we attended the Livermore Church for a year. We, I'm going to change the names here. We met a family there that uh, were building a house in this area at the Livermore Church. Well, when we had moved to the house in Ceres, we moved right next door to these people's daughter. Life was interesting living next to Janet, its a made-up name. Well, we would witness Janet and her children trashing her husband's van, They took a baseball bat and they were beating the windows in. They pulled all the wiring out of the van, out from under the dashboard. They even pulled the wiring from the engine. And they were beating the engine up with a baseball bat. They popped all four tires. Well, of course, when her husband came home, I'm going to call him John, he was mad. They started fighting. They started beating on one another. Well, when he had started doing that, she turned around and took a skillet and hit him in the head. Well, Laura would sit in our front yard and talk with Janet. They would laugh and carry on, even though I'm going to say, Janet had problems with drugs, and she would not like being around us sometimes. But she loved Laura. So she and Laura would sit down on the front lawn, and they'd be pulling weeds and laughing. When all of a sudden, Laura would say, your husband went to jail, huh? He's a bad man. And then they'd laugh about it. And she'd say, yes, he did. And this would go on night after night, and Laura would say to her, "You know, you need to go to church." She would say this over and over and over again. She said she was going to help out with the meetings, in series. Net, I can't remember. It's net ninety seven or net ninety eight. She was going to help out. As far as I knew, she wasn't going to help at all, you know. But I was wrong. They would continue on every night and Laura would say, you need to go to church. Well, it wasn't long and Janet had uh, separated from her uh, husband, John. And so Janet would start a dating and she dated this one man that wasn't very good. He wore a, a machete strapped to his leg and he was always walking around the neighborhood. Well, Janet decided to break off her relationship with him, and he didn't like it. He would place black roses on her car every day with a note that was um, threatening her life. Well, Laura had the guts to say when he was around, That man's a bad man. He went to jail, huh? He would call her one to 200 times a day. She changed her phone number. And then after that, she uh, was hoping he would just leave her alone. But he broke into their house and got the phone number again. So she put a restraining order on him and our neighborhood ended up having to capture him, turn him in to the police. Well, while Laura was sitting in the front yard, pulling the weeds and saying, you need to go to church, she would say to her, you need to help out with, go to the meetings. I need to help out, Is what she said. I need to help out with the meetings. She'd say this over and over and over again. Finally, one day, Janet said she would attend. She would take Laura. So she did so, and she was baptized. Now, I didn't believe Laura when she said she was gonna help out with the meetings, but you know, Laura did help out with the meetings. I believe that if Laura can do all this, that God is able to witness through us regardless of our disabilities And regardless of our lack of experience, I believe that he can have even the stones cry out. So how big is our God anyway? Can't measure him. I know that uh, uh, when God is talking to Job, he says, can you measure the mountains? Awesome words. God is more than able to watch out after every one of us. He's able to watch out after you and me. He knows what we need. He knows what we should have. Not always what we ask for, but he knows what we really need. He really wants our heart and to save us from our sins. We all have habits that we need to overcome. I can be bossy and overbearing at times, very stubborn. I do things I wish I'd never done and I need help to overcome. I think we all fall into this category in some way or another. God is big enough to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgave David. We studied that in the Sabbath school lesson in the last couple weeks. The horrific things that David did and God forgave him. He's able to forgive us and give us victory. Now that's something that we seem to leave out of our lives. He will give us the power to overcome the sins in our life. Many times we over, will overcome them Uh, because we're about ready to die from our sin. Otherwise, we would not. Although I had a grandfather that said, well, my vice, it may be killing me, but I'm going to die anyway. So there are people like that, but most people are not like that. He is big enough to help us overcome our sins now. Oops, I don't know if you can read that. I can't read it from here. But in Romans 12, 21, it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Hebrews 12, 1. And also in 1 John 5, 4, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. My question for all of us and to myself, why wait? We need to step out in faith, allow God to overcome these sins for us through the power of the Spirit. Let us not deny the power of the gospel to overcome and show to the world around us that we serve a wonderful and powerful God who loves us and will transform us into his likeness. And then my prayer for us is to him that overcometh, will I give the right to eat of the tree of life? It's found in Revelation 2.7 and Revelation 3.21. My prayer is that we will be able to eat of the tree of life together. Shall we bow our heads? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we could come here to worship you, give you praise for the things that you do the fact that you're a God is big enough that knows us and knows what we need and is able to answer prayer ahead of time and to work on it in advance. You're a God who cares about what we do, what we say. You're a God that loves and wants to transform us into your likeness. We're thankful for that. We ask that you would be with us as we go about our daily routine throughout the week. Help us to remember the relationship with you. Please help us to hold dear your love. In Jesus' name, amen.